Welcome to Jewish Boy Calls His Mother. I'm your host, Sadia, and this is my mother, Ima. Hey, Ima. Hey, my sweetness. All right, so this week's topic, I spoke to you about previously. I wanted to make sure I'm, I'm clarifying. What I'm saying was that when you were a kid, it was a lot safer being a kid than when, when I was a kid, it was a lot more dangerous. And my question is, how much of that was fabricated and how much of that was real? None of it was fabricated. It was all real. I'm okay. You it's, um, it, you know, just look at the statistics. I mean, when, um, when you children were little, there were several um, alerts that were sent out to parents about kidnappers in the area that even there was at one point there was a kidnapping ring that was operating out of Washington, D.C. that was specializing in kidnapping blonde-haired, blue-eyed children and taking them to Mexico and selling them. Oh, wow. And as a matter of fact, when I was um, working at a preschool in Columbia, we were told by the police that morning don't take the kids outside, keep them inside, watch them very carefully, that there had been a kidnapping attempt of a toddler right around that area that morning. Oh, wow. So, you know, um, it wasn't like I was trying to scare you. I was trying to keep you safe because, um, unfortunately, that is the uh, way the world is crumbling well, um, what about latchkey kids then? How do you explain that? Because latchkey kids came about in the 70s and 80s and crime was still around. So why was it that latchkey kids kind of developed? Um, actually, latchkey kids were around when I was a kid. It wasn't the norm, but the concept of the latchkey kid is um, basically the idea that both parents are working full time, nobody's home, and that the kid carries their own key to the house with them and has to let themselves in. Mm. So um, that came with, um, you know, basically parents having having to work full time. Um, I, I mean, I heard about when I was in high school, not high school, I was like, you know, in elementary, middle school, you would hear about, you know, kids who um, basically had to let themselves in the house and nobody was there for a while. Um, about that, that was my situation. My mother never liked that idea. As a matter of fact, she felt as we got older, just the opposite, that she wanted to keep um, an even, um, how to say, she wanted to keep a... Um, uh, more caring, uh, guarding look on us <laughs> as we were becoming independent teenagers to make sure we stayed in line. Did you? And there was no hanky panky. Ima, <laughs> did you stay in line? I played the fifth. Okay, I'll take that. Um, so, did Bubby work at all, or no? She well, she actually. We at the time. We didn't think she was working. I mean, she was always home. But in retrospect, and I was discussing this with um, one of my sisters, she said, wait a minute. 
Bubby was helping our father in the business. She was home all the time, so she was able to answer the phone and take the chicken and fruit and vegetable orders. Wednesday was chicken day where she would prepare each chicken order custom custom made, however the customer wanted it, cutting fourths, cutting eighths, um, a whole chicken. And she would, she would take these chickens and cut them exactly the way the customer wanted. She would, in fact, she would um, go through the chicken very carefully and take out all the, like the teeny little pin feathers. Like yeah. even though yeah. chickens, there's a flicking machine these days, it flicks the, all the feathers. Still, you know yourself that whenever you buy a chicken from the store, every now and you come across like around certain parts of the chicken, especially the wings, there are these teeny little, you know, pin feathers. And so she would go through with this te- with a small knife and make sure they were all totally out. She would clean the chicken okay. thoroughly. And in fact, this was before this was before the day of um, actually being able to buy your chickens already koshered. You had to caution them yourself. So she would caution them for the customers. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, you know, what about Shlita? So kitten. Oh, the, the not the front of the Shlita. No, the, no, no. Who was, my, who was, did you know the Shochet? Did you have, were you familiar with them? Were they like a family friend? Well, I was a kid. I was a little kid, but my my father was. My father would go down the Shechting house in those days, was I think on Quantico Avenue and Park Heights, Laura Park Heights. Oh, wow. And my father would go there very early in the morning. And um, he would get the chickens right from the Schechting house. Oh, so the so the Schechting house would buy the chickens, and then the, and then they would sell the Schechted chickens to uh, to um, Zadie and other vendors. Right, exactly. <clears throat> mm-hmm. the- then um, later on, um, my father eventually. Um, it was, I think it was during like the, had to be like the 19, early, late 1960s, early 70s, was when the stores started to sell the chickens as we know, like already, already um, koshered, already koshered and, you know, cut in two. You could buy them, you know, in packages, you can buy them cut in fours, you can buy them whole, you might have cut in eights. So by that time, my father saw, um, it didn't pay for him to continue the chicken uh, part of his business mm-hmm. because it was no longer lucrative because people could get these chickens already, you know, uh, cleaned and however they wanted them cut in the store. But he kept up the fruit and vegetable um, part of his business. And also at that time, um, he started working in my uncle's restaurant that you know, Danny's restaurant, which um, yeah, it be, was a many people remember that restaurant. It was a very famous five star restaurant, and so my father would work there also. So, I my question then is, um, was there a, like a mashkiach or kind of like a a, a star K kind of situation where like Zadie had to get certified or get a stamp or have someone watch over him, or at this point in time? there was more like a trust with the community and there wasn't really any need for it. Um, There was no Vatikashras at the time. There was no Star K. Um, And um, there was one time, well, my father, you know, since he went 
to Quantico Avenue and picked up the chickens already shechted, you know, from a, you know, from Shechet. So there was no problem with that. So there was one day though that a rabbi did call him and um, asked him questions about the way that um, what my mother did with the chickens, how she prepared them, how she koshered them. And my father told him in detail um, what my mother did. And uh, the rabbi seemed okay and pretty pleased yeah. with it. And uh, that was it. I mean, like, that's kind of, I think it's kind of funny because it's like nowadays people would find it rude or, you know, you know, um, just invasive. But like, you have to ask these questions to figure out what's going on. Um, you know, and uh, my, my other question I had was, did you ever do a ride along with Sadie when he was working? Yes, I did. I, I guess I made that mistake. <laughs> when I was 10 years old, um, there was one, well, we weren't religious. It was one Saturday where I decided I wanted to help him out on the truck. So it was during the summertime. So he said, okay, he brought me along. And boy, it was hard. Um, I helped him carry a lot of the orders to, it was um, Saturday. His business was I don't know, some part in Baltimore, it was a very, very like red, what we would call a redneck neighborhood. Okay. It was a redneck neighborhood. I don't know where it was. Had to be, had to be like maybe Southeast Baltimore, something like that. Southwest. I was right. You know, and he sold fruits and vegetables. He also sold crabs. And by the way, he also sold, would you believe, muskrats? What? Why? He, he had Goisha customers that ate muskrats interesting and i had a chance to see these muskrats i mean they were they were basically they were they looked like large they looked like large moles or large rats and they were skinned and they still had the fur on the they still had the head and they had the fur on their head so you could tell they were muskrats but the rest of their body was skinned and cleaned oh wow and so anyway i saw this one time in the back of his truck um he also sold crabs on on Saturday, and so I helped him do that. And he told me that when I sell the crabs, when people buy them, I should give the crabs a top a tap a tap on the shell. And if you tap the crab on the shell, it, its claw goes up to try to get you. And he says if the crab doesn't move like that, yeah, throw it out. Don't sell it because it means it's dead. And um, crabs when these Crabs, you know, seashell. When the when the trade when the trade shellfish is full of bacteria, mm -hmm. and the minute they die, that bacteria starts to multiply immediately, and that's how people can get poisoned by oh, eating wow. a bad crab or a, it's um they say a bad crab. It meant that the crab was dead when they cooked it. They have to cook them live. Oh wow. And so I remember there was this one family where I brought them, um, I brought them however many crabs they had ordered and tapped each one on the shelf. When I came into the kitchen with the box of crabs, they already had the, they already had this huge pot of boiling water. That's awesome. Already. <laughs> <laughs> then there was one experience I had in, I guess you would call it business etiquette. Uh, I learned it the hard way on this particular trip where um, I was going around selling peaches, bags of peaches to these people and, you know, going from door to door. And um, 
there was this big, this big ugly guy, and he took a peach and he wanted to see if he wanted. It, basically, he wanted to sample it. He like squeezed the peach in half with his. I'm, I mean, I'm like ten years old. I'm looking up this big ugly <laughs> guy, and he squeezes the peach in half and he stuffs it in his mouth. And he's okay. He'll buy the bag. So then there was this other guy I went to, and um, you know, who was who was buying a bag of peaches. So he takes the bag of peaches, and he puts out a hand with money in it. And I thought the way he was putting out his hand was for me to take the money. Yeah, that's what I thought. He's he's got his money in his hand, and he's putting he's holding he's holding it. He's putting it out. So I, you know, so I of course went to take the money. And he grabbed my hand very tightly and squeezed it and then like threw it, like threw my hand down. He says, let me teach you a lesson in how to accept money. He says, you put out your hand and I put the money into it. Interesting. That's because yeah. evidently that was not what he was going <clears throat> to pay me. It was, he was just taking out his money. And since his hand was open and the money was, out towards me yeah that's what i thought i was supposed to take it but yeah, you're a 10 year old kid what are you gonna do yeah so uh that's i learned that i learned that lesson very very quickly i mean it's it's that's kind of funny where you talk about like the 1960s how adults treated children you know mm -hmm. and i i know talking about this we've talked about this previously about the difference of the fact that you had to raise gen x millennials and then mm -hmm. like late millennial almost gen z um, oh, but there's one more thing that I want to say yeah. about helping my father. I also helped him carry, he had a big pile of watermelons in his truck and I was helping him shove these watermelons. I mean, I was only 10 years old and I was able to carry 25 pound watermelons. So um, I had a lot, you know, I really developed a lot of upper body strength. So anyway, but it was halfway through the day after, uh, after all these hours of walking and walking and, you know, uh, you know, selling all the this produce and crabs and everything. I came into the truck. I was I was exhausted, and it was hot. It was so hot, and my father's truck was not refrigerated. Refrigerated trucks were very expensive. So my my father's refrigeration method is air conditioning. His air conditioning was very environmentally friendly. It was total wind power. He opened <laughs> up all the doors and actually drove the wind blew through it. And that was the air conditioning. So I came into the truck. I fell down on these cool watermelons, this whole pile. And I just closed my eyes and I said, Dad, take me home. <laughs> he just laughed and he took me home. I didn't make it through the day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I... Did your sisters ever go on any ride-alongs? No, they were smarter than that. <laughs> <laughs> what made you want to join and go on the ride-along? I wanted to help them. Okay. I, I, wanted to, I, wanted to, I wanted to help them. Uh, well, let's put it this way. There was a joke among some of my friends when I was a teenager. <laughs> One friend in particular, they used to say, you're the closest thing to a son your father has. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was a real tomboy. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so I guess when you got older and became a teenager, um, did Zadie's, I guess Zadie's business changed over time? Um, or did he, or did he still sell produce? Cause I'm trying to remember, cause I just remember him as being retired. I don't remember him ever, you know, mm -hmm. not doing the, the produce. 
Mm-hmm. He eventually, yeah, he eventually, um, well, he was, he worked more and more at my uncle's restaurant. And what he did was, um, he also per, uh, provided my uncle with the fruits and vegetables that he needed in his restaurant. Oh, cool. Yeah. So he was able to do that plus working at the restaurant. And, um, eventually he cut back on the number of days he was doing the produce business. Then when he hit like around 70, his, um, he had, uh, he had osteoporosis, which runs in our family, but he, my grandmother had it very badly. And my father had it very badly because evidently vitamin D was not added to milk until the 1930s. And the reason they added it was because they found that vitamin D was very helpful in helping the body to assimilate calcium from the milk. Mm-hmm. And that uh, was a very good bone builder. And my father was born in 1918. Oh, so he had a long time. So, he yeah, wasn't... so he was having a lot of trouble, unfortunately, with his bones. It was becoming harder and harder for him to um, carry all these heavy, you know, boxes of fruits and vegetables and also his truck was breaking down and he said you know what at the age of 70 he said i'm not going to go to the bank and borrow you know to, to buy a like a big truck like he needed you know you were talking about a lot of money and he says i'm not a 70 going to going to borrow money from the bank for, for for this and so he went ahead and took retirement at 70 oh wow um <laughs> did you have any was there any health stuff that you had as a kid that now has become obsolete or that you thought was healthy and now is like proven wrong? Hmm. That's a very good question. I'm trying to think back. Um, no, actually I can't, I can't think the basics of fruits, vegetables, um, exercise. Um, me and my sisters, my whole, we, we did that all. We just did that all the time. It was part of our lifestyle. Hmm. Um, my father did that, and that's that's the same advice that they're giving people today. To um, you know, to to stay healthy, you know, eat the eat those fruits and vegetables, and um, you know, and exercise. And um, that was. I'm trying to think if there was anything that they thought was healthy in my day that turned out not to be. Um, The only thing I could think of that they thought was healthy, which we found was not, was yelling at your kid and smacking him. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, they thought that was healthy. They thought that built character. Well, it's it's funny because I was trying to talk to you about it uh, earlier, and I'm realizing we've talked about it in a previous podcast. But I'm not sure if we can like maybe dive into it a little more. Well, that's uh, why I joke. I joke around. I was. I joke around with some of the teachers in our school when they talk about. Um, kids being ADD, ADHD. So I tell them, um, oh, in my day, they had a very good way of dealing with ADHD. They had what I call belt therapy. <laughs> and so these teachers didn't get the joke. And they look at me and go, belt therapy? They go, well, they think, they, 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 they're, they're like, they have like, very, very curiously. And they go, uh, what was belt therapy? They really thought I was, I'm talking about real therapy. So I said, oh, your parents would smack you with a belt and tell you, sit down, pay attention. It's, the, the thing is, is that like, it's, 
we're realizing it's like putting a square peg in a round hole. Like, yeah, it'll fit, but then it's not going to be as functional as it could be. Um, you know, because like I'm seeing my friends and I'm seeing other you know other people how they want to raise their kids and talk to their kids, and you're you're trying to get them to retain information and make smart decisions. Like you don't want to control them because then that's exhausting. That means you have to constantly tell them what to do. And that just is going to be a headache in the long run. What you want to teach them to do is how to be independent, but smart enough where they make the right decisions so you don't have to worry about them too much. Well, my mother had, um, I don't know if it was Dr. Spock's book or not, but you've heard of of Benjamin Spock. No. No? Oh, my gosh. No, never have. Okay. He, He was world famous. Dr. Benjamin Spock. I think this might have been his book wrote a very, very famous book on child rearing where he was trying to get parents away from being over-controlling and from um, using, um, you know, like, like, you know, um, being too punitive with their kids. And so he wrote a very famous book on child rearing. Um, I forgot if he was a pediatrician or if he was a child psychologist. You'd probably have to Google the name Benjamin Spock. I'll check him out. But when the 1960s, late 1960s hit, and you had all these student riots that were breaking out um, uh, to protest the war in Vietnam, yeah. a lot of the media blamed him. And they oh, said wow. it was because of Dr. Spock's don't hit your kids philosophy that, you know, why now we have a whole generation that's just rebelling and just acting out and just, uh, you know, violating all the rules of decency. And um, I was, I've been, that I listened, I was watching some interviews with Dr. Spock at the time, you know, because by this time I was like late high school, early college. And as a matter of fact, there was a very famous picture. Dr. Spock actually went to one of the student demonstrations and there's a very famous picture of him with the with the students demonstrating with them against the war of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Spock in this interview was answering these media people and saying, that is not my that was not what I meant in the book. I didn't mean not discipline your child, not correct them. He said that he just meant that there are better ways of doing it than yelling at your kid and smacking them and putting them down. Yeah. So um, I remember it was a big green book. I'm almost sure it was Dr. Spock's book. I remember every now and then picking it up when I was, oh my gosh, I was pretty, I was like 11, maybe I was like 11 or 12 years old. I took it out of the bookshelf and I was reading it. And there was a chapter on timidity. You know, being timid, you know, being overly yeah. shy. And Dr. Spock said in that chapter that what causes timidity in children is when the parents, um, when the parents try to do everything for the child, and don't let them do anything for themselves, and that's and then that that's leads to timidity because then the child is afraid of like spreading their wings and trying to do things on their own. Mm. Um, it's interesting because I'm reading up about him and he's he had an interesting life socially, politically. Um, you know, people did, ha- he did get backlash. Um, and he, he wasn't a hundred percent perfect. Like I kind of disagree with him on a few things, but 
you know, just just having that understanding. It's 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 funny because I remember you telling me about the Lubavitch Rebbe noticing um, young kids in the '60s starting to look for a spiritual meaning, and that mm-hmm. it's another sign of Mashiach. And I'm thinking of like the same thing with today, where it's like the teenagers today, like what are they looking for, and what's what's the next layer we're trying to get to um, as a closer means to the end. Good question. I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a crystal ball. But going back to Dr. Benjamin Spock, mm-hmm. I was reading an interview with him. I forgot what magazine it was. It was a magazine interview. And he they were asking him questions about his own childhood. It was hysterical. It was so funny. He said he was raised in this family, in, I think it was New England or something. And the parents were very strict. The mother would never permit them to eat in a restaurant ever. She felt that the restaurant food was filthy, was dirty, was very unhealthy. And so um, she was, um, he said, finally, there was one time he was with his father. They took a trip somewhere to see his father and his father took him to a restaurant. He goes, oh boy, he's imagining this is gonna be really terrific. He's thinking about some, found himself, he's gonna order a hamburger, he's gonna order a hot dog, you know, all those things his mother doesn't let him eat, like hot dogs and hamburgers. That was, a, that was another thing, she didn't like hot dogs or hamburgers, she felt they were unhealthy. So he says he goes with, to the restaurant with his father, he was a little boy, and the waiter starts to you know, tell him all the things that they have, like hot dogs, hamburgers, french fries, whatever, and the father's going, no, 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 because he thinks all this stuff is unhealthy. So finally, the man said, well, maybe you would like tombstone stew. Tombstone, so Dr. Spock was explaining, tombstone stew is toast, pieces of toast floating in warm milk. <laughs> and he said he couldn't figure out was it called tombstone stew because the pieces of bread were shaped like a tombstone or was it called tombstone stew because the people that eat that are so old they can't eat anything else that they're going to die soon? <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. There, there's a lot that you can learn. I, I can learn from, I guess, people like Dr. Spock, was there any Jewish version of that when you started having children? There was a lady, a very good, um, and I, I don't know if she was an American who had made Aliyah or if she was um, a Sabra, I don't know. Her name, I think, was Miriam Levy. And she was a social worker with 10 kids of her own and that's what I liked about her because a lot of the articles that were being written about child rearing at the time were by people who either were never married never had kids or maybe had one kid that was named was named was raised basically raised by a nanny that they hired she on the other hand she was a mother of 10 kids and she raised all 10 of them plus she was a social worker and um she wrote this, she wrote a series of articles on discipline. Um, I forgot what she wrote, I re- but I remember, oh, I remember, I don't remember the specifics of what she wrote, but I remember um, thinking that it was, um, 
it was a very very these it was a very very good um article that she wrote except with one exception she did she did believe in smacking kids not a lot but she she believed that she was, she was Israeli. Then, every now and then a potch. Yeah. Every now and then, like, she was one kid she was working with who the parents were very, very permissive. This kid was a brat and she was trying to do like some sort of therapy with this kid. And the kid was totally uncooperative and very nasty. And she finally smacked the kid. And the mother said, now she will hate you. And just the opposite. The kid couldn't wait to come to the sessions. The kid, after that, was totally cooperative and got a lot out of the therapy. So what do you think about hitting kids? <laughs> I, I remember I had an education professor in college who the, almost, um, like, the one, you know, we brought that up. Because when I was in college, this was, it was a controversy. It was going back and forth. Should you hit a kid? Uh, in in what way should you hit a kid? Because and our ge- our generation was just coming out of that very very strict heavy discipline where kids were really smacked very very much. I told you about course your friends of mine told me that their discipline was that they had to go in the backyard and pick a switch, pick a stick. Oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah of which and give it to the fa- father or the mother, and that's the stick they would be hit with. So yeah. um. So this was we one of this was a main topic of discussion in a lot of our psychology and education classes. And this one education professor said to us, I believe in hitting. It's great therapy for the parents. Does nothing for the child, but it's great therapy for the parents. <laughs> Let's put it this way. I don't like the idea of hitting. I'd rather use other methods. But when all else fails and nothing else is working. And the kid is very much out of control. It's better than nothing. Yeah, it's better than just letting this kid. Because I've I've seen situations like that. Oh, where where kids are just being so abstinent and bratty and, and out of control, was, and nothing was working. You and just smack um, them around. Yeah, I mean, I I got to the point a couple times. Not with you, you the we didn't. Look, you know, you were pretty good. You're a pretty good kid. Um, but there were a couple of occasions with some of your other brothers and sisters where I either had to finally threaten to hit them, didn't carry it up, but threaten. Or um, I had to actually, I, I warned them first, though. I said, look, you can either, one of your siblings, um, he, refu- he, needed, he needed me to work with them with the schoolwork. He refused, 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 refused. I offered him a dollar. Here, he's a guy. I think you know, I remember this. this I actually and remember being there watching this. And finally, I smacked him. And then he and then he cooperated. And he yeah. read. And yeah. I said to him, now, instead of you getting this dollar, I, I handed him the dollar. I said, now, you have to pay me back the dollar for all the effort I had to spend now getting you to cooperate. Now it's my dollar. I literally remember that. I have a vivid memory of that happening. Yes, I know who you're talking about. I remember <laughs> that. Because I remember, I remember like sitting there like, dude, just take the freaking dollar. What's wrong with you? Um, <laughs> no, it's like, what's been you crazy? And then one time with one of your sisters, she was really doing very poorly in spelling. And she was like in second grade and she was failing all her spelling tests. So I was trying to work with her and she refused to work with me. She refused to review her spelling words. So finally, I took out a belt. I didn't hit her. I took out a big belt. I put it on the table. 
and I pointed to it. I said, is this the only thing you understand? And she sat down with me and she reviewed all her spelling words. The next day she comes home from school, um, Friday, Friday, you know, Friday are usually spelling test days. She comes into the house, flies over to me. She gives me a big hug and kiss. She tells me how much she loves me. And I said to her, I don't understand. Yesterday I threatened you with a belt. And today you're hugging and kissing me, telling me how much you love me. And she smiled and said, Ema, I got an 80 on my spelling test. Aww. First time she had actually passed, and not just passed, but passed with a B. So out of curiosity, though, from your oldest to your youngest, where is the ratio of hits? Like, <laughs> like the oldest is the most, and by the time you got the youngest, you just didn't hit anymore. And the question I have for you is, why did it drop? <laughs> is it because you learned other methods that were better and more efficient? That just maybe hitting really never really worked? You just didn't discover no. new methods? I was, look, a thought just occurred to me in that, you know, when parents talk about raising their kids, I we all have the tendency to, you know, to, to draw this picture of ourselves as the picture parent perfect perfect parents yeah no matter how lousy we might be we, we think we talk about ourselves as though we're the perfect parent um of course i wasn't um but um you're right i think what it is a couple things and i'm not the only one a, a lot of parents will tell you this that um as you get older you do get more patience mm -hmm. you do get more patience and as you have more children things that really upset you in your older kids now when you see it in your younger kids it's like oh that that's normal you're not so upset by it because you see that's like a normal pattern it's like you know being a parent is very very much like any other type of job the more you work at it the more you learn the more experience you gain i mean anybody with any career People go through evolutions yeah. in their career. They start out, you know, from whatever training they have, with whether it be college, whether it be a trade school, uh, whether it be them wanting to start a business. And at first, you're not sure of yourself. You don't really have a lot of techniques uh, that are under your belt. But as time goes on, you develop better techniques. You learn more about your profession. Um, you become more successful at it. Yeah. I mean, out, out of curiosity then, um, what bothered you about the older siblings that eventually you learned to accept with the younger siblings? That's a really good question. Well, I remember the first time um, when your older sis, when your oldest sister um, was about three or four years old, maybe. And I told her she had to pick up her toys and she yelled at me, I hate you. And I, I had never heard that before. You know, this was a, this is my first child. She's only like three, four years old. And I was devastated. I really was. I started crying. I said, here, you know, I did so much for this child. And I brought her into the world and I took care of her and everything. And now she tells me she hates me. Oh, I must be a failure as a mother. But then as she got a little older, um, I kind of like, I don't know, I got wiser, smarter. And there was another time that I told her she had to pick, pick up all her toys. And this was like a maybe a year or two later. She was a little older. She was like five, six years old. And she goes, I hate you. And I wasn't at all flustered. I realized, aha, this is, you know, emotional blackmail. 
And I said to her, you are entitled to your feelings, but you still have to pick up your toys. And she goes, ah! <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So it's I like... realized that the kids got, you know, I was the kid, uh, you know, with the kids, like I was able to detect emotional blackmail, get a little smarter about it. <laughs> I guess you also develop more patience and confidence. And yes, with that, exactly. with that comes the the feeling of the realizing it's not necessary to go so harsh on your punishments because punishments are really there trying to control the situation. But with mm -hmm. patience and confidence, you understand that it's going to be fine. You just need to wait them out and you have more patience because you have more knowledge and comprehension that they do. They're just like one years old. You have like 35, 40 years above them. And there's nothing to worry about. Yeah. There's also something too. Um, there were a few books I read, which um, encouraged parents to let the child suffer the natural consequences of their action. In other words, you tell your child, hey, you know, you do this right away. I'm, I'm going to give you, you know, I'll give you a toy. I'll give you that, you know, you'll, you'll get a reward for it. Um, you don't do it. You're not getting your reward. And the kid, of course, doesn't do it. And um, they say, hey, where's, you know, my this or my that or my toy or whatever you found. Well, you, I'm, so, I'm sorry, you didn't do the job I told you to do. And therefore you cannot get this. Yeah. Was, was there oh, any yeah. reason why, mm -hmm. like. Oh, I want to recommend a book, by the way. Yeah, go ahead. Recommend a book. Okay. It is, it is one of one of my granddaughter's favorite and one of my favorites too. If anybody can buy it, it's great. It's called Cozy Rosie Learns to Clean Her Room. Cozy Rosie Learns to Clean His Room. That Learn, sounds cute. Co Cozy Rosie Learns to Clean Her Room. It's adorable. Awesome. I'll check it out. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I guess in, in conclusions from now is that like it just – as a new parent, you're going to be nervous. You're going to be concerned. You're going to be worried. And the answer is, is that like. Oh, are you asking me these questions because you um planning on being a parent soon? Ema, we have like a lot of listeners and it's not just me, <laughs> other people. I care about other people. Oh, it's just, just you and me, honey. No, nah, it's just, fine. Don't worry just about like it. sitting at, our, at, at a kitchen table. Sitting at a kitchen table. Yes, yes, yes. That's all. <laughs> um, yeah. So just, just wanted to confirm. Um, but yeah, I think that's, I think that's it. Um, we're, uh, we're almost out of time. Um, <laughs> uh -huh, I love you very, you. very much. I love you very much. Love um, you too. Take care. Have a great Shabbos. You too. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Thank you, honey. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Jewish Boy Calls His Mother. Please send us feedback and comments on our Facebook page, and like and subscribe on YouTube. I know I would like it, and my mother would too.